Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act One! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe, share this uh, episode, this whole thing, actually really with this whole podcast, with your friends. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com and also at WG Therapy on Twitter and Instagram individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter and Tom Loveman on Instagram. And I am at Roshni Lumino on Twitter and at Moon Lily Music on Instagram. Wow. Happy, happy October. It is that time of year, isn't it? It's the time of year where I watch Hocus Pocus like every single night. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I also am really excited about the, um, the Adams Family movie. Oh, the animated one that's coming out. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, why did they not animate this sooner, right? Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, it should be really good. It's, yeah. So that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. A lot of lot of good things. We're coming in a this is coming into Oscar season now. I think from now till the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So any good movies lately? Uh, Oscar level Uh, (laughs) or movies? Period. I saw Downton Abbey recently. I'm a big fan of the show, so I went to. Oh, how'd you like that? It was a lovely um, show. It was like a long episode of the show, but you know. The, the the plot is basically the king and queen are coming to Downton Abbey. So everyone's bustling mm. around for that. Uh, but it really kind of filled the, you know, the gap at the end of the series to kind of tie up all the storylines. Uh, it was a really well, if you're a fan of the show, it's a really well constructed story to kind of wrap that up and uh, send off the family into the next, you know, generation as, you know, the world of the lords and ladies kind of changes. So it was, you know, wonderful, you know, costuming, of course, is beautiful. The the filming and everything is really nice. Uh, it's it's definitely a contender. Um, I don't think it's anything that's going to, like, you know, knock out your, your majors, though. Mm-hmm. Is it one of those movies? Because I remember, for example, I watched Sex and the City, and I had never really followed the show. So I was like, it's okay, but I think if I had followed the show, I would have loved it more. Is uh, the Downton Abbey movie one of those movies where it's like you should have followed the show? Yeah, you would have definitely would have wanted to see the show to know who all the characters are. The there's so many characters mm-hmm. in the show. If you went in blind, you don't have enough background on the characters to understand who they are or the you know their relationships and stuff. So you really get dumped into this, into the, the story kind of like, here we are again. You know, it's, they, they don't mm-hmm. spend any time really uh, rehashing past events. No, it's cool. That's cool. I probably will skip because I never followed the show too much. It was a wonderful but... show. So if you want to go back, watch the show. And um, I actually saw um, Julian Fellows speak at a uh, four-year consideration event a few years ago. Um, there oh. was a screening. Where was that screening? I think it was actually at the uh, TV Academy up in NoHo. Um, mm-hmm. And a bunch of the cast were there too. So it was really nice. Um, but he actually, I, I have to check to see, but he wrote all the episodes. So he really, you know, as a writer, that's kind of rare. Not only did he get a you know major global phenomena going with his TV show, but he actually wrote all of it himself. 
Wow. Yeah. Cause usually most people I think turn it over after a season or two. Yeah. Or you, you know, you hire a staff, but you know, the BBC, you know, they work a little differently than, you know, American broadcast television. The seasons are shorter, true. they're further apart. They're more self-contained also. They know their beginning and end when they write it yeah. versus American TV. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're there, you know, they write the first, you know, third or half of the season and start filming. And before, you know, they know it, they're, they're writing the episode that's filming tomorrow kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They don't do that in England. I don't think. Nope, they do not. I actually had a friend who did a lot of, he's done a lot of TV over in England and over here. And I remember him saying that that was a big difference between American television and uh, English television, English television, because they, they write it like it's a movie. So they know the whole arc of the story they know the beginning and the end before they even shoot the first page oh, interesting yeah hmm. yeah which it's like oh that makes sense you know that's that's actually a really cool way to write it yeah. you know so have you uh, seen so. any oscar contenders yet uh actually went to see judy ah. with my husband um it was i never saw the play that it was based on and uh i wonder i mean it's it's not really a biopic because it's more the play you know, that like last, uh, do, do you know anything about it or are you going to go see it? Should I spoil it for you? I Spoilers, probably people. <laughs> won't see it. I saw the trailer and it kind of depressed me. It, it is sad just because you know the ending, you know what's going to happen. I would hope people know what's going to happen and that the end of her life was not very pretty. Yeah. You know, it was a very sad way for such an amazing star to, you know, end. But um, the acting was amazing the the story it's it's really a slice of life it's kind of like watching uh you know eighth grade or ladybird so there's really not a plot yeah. per se i also kind of think that they might have gotten a detail wrong really? um yeah so spoilers if you guys want to go see the movie skip over this part real quick but at the end of the movie they uh flash a little thing that says she died six months after the events that you see in the movie but when i looked it up it said she actually died three months after her last marriage huh. historically and she got married you know in the movie like in the last 20 minutes or something and then they kind of make it seem like she's going on for a few more weeks but then mm -hmm. it says she died six months after and i'm like no i well, actually, according to what I read, she died much sooner than that. So I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I don't know. A little nitpicky, but yeah. <laughs> it is a little nitpicky. Actually, the, the only nitpicky thing that was so funny, I think Renee Zellweger did an amazing job. And the only nitpicky thing that I really thought about, uh, some people were like, oh my gosh, how come they had her sing instead of dubbing Judy in? I think it's fine that she sang herself, but I did notice she tended to sing more like a modern singer than how they used to sing. Uh in that era and it, it's a very like minor thing but I, I mentioned this actually to my husband later i said you know back in that time it seemed like they would hold the consonant consonant instead of the uh vowel and as a singer you're taught to hold the vowel and then you know end on the consonant ah. instead of holding the consonant it's a very minor thing sorry i was holding the consonant uh, yeah yeah haha ha. funny thanks job but yeah it's a, it's a minor thing but it's a stylistic thing and i noticed it and i was like hmm you know well, as a singer you know. would notice that more than most people i guess i don't know but nobody else has commented on it anywhere i've you know watched a, a critique about it so maybe it's just me i don't know <laughs> do you think uh, this has been a big year for uh music um biopics um we had uh 
what was the last one? Well, a lot of musical kind of oh, things. We had yesterday about the Beatles. There was the, the what about the light? Was the one about Bruce Springsteen? The the, the kid who liked Bruce Springsteen's music. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Was- Those are really biopics, though. Those are more like reimaginings yeah. of using the music. Well, and then we had uh, Rocket Man earlier. Was it Rocket yeah. Man? Um, yeah. So this will be, well, from my count, that's the fourth music heavy themed music uh, movie this year. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say Bohemian Rhapsody, but that was last I, year. So I now I'm getting everything too, merged yeah. <laughs> together. When did Oscar season start again? But yeah, it's interesting. And again, like thinking about trends, what's trending, that's what's in vogue right now. Mm. Right? Yes. So speaking of what's in vogue, yeah. the landscape of how we consume media really has changed i know we've talked about it before Changing but like ton coming up the streaming services and movie pass has finally kicked the bucket r.i.p movie pass september it's not completely dead um uh like uh, earlier you know uh, first they said it's closing down and everybody got an email saying they're closing down, but they said they weren't. They were going to try to keep it going. They still feel like there's a purpose or a need for that in the marketplace. Um, and then a few days after they announced that, the um, Ted Farnsworth, the uh, uh, chairman and CEO, he stepped down from the company and then put a bid in to buy all the assets. So it's kind of it seems a little shady to me. Like, oh, we're going bankrupt, but then the CEO who got all his money out of the company before he stepped down is going to use that money to buy the assets back and try to bring it back. So I was like, what's that's kind of weird. You're dead, but you're not. That's really confusing because as of mid September, they were quote unquote dead. They were gone. And that, and now it's like, Oh, but we might resurrect. I feel like it's um, a ploy. Um, You ever see how furniture stores are always going out of business? Oh my gosh, yes. So what they do is they, they go out of business, they sell everything off, and then they close. And then the next week, uh, someone comes along, puts a new sign up, and they reopen with all the same inventory and under a new name. And it's, I don't know if it's just a ploy to get around, you know, you file bankruptcy or whatever, just to change management, to change the business so you can start over. Uh, I feel like they're kind of doing that here. They, I don't know how much money they owe their creditors because you know, at one point they owed like four forty-four million dollars, I think, to the studios that they had to pay off for all those tickets and stuff. I don't know what mm-hmm. happened to that if they got more investments, but it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like this weird, uh, you know, one company closes and another LLC opens up to buy the assets of that company and then starts it all over again. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I'm a little like, you know, you failed once. It's too little, too late. Yeah. yeah. How should you get to do this over again? But you you cannot argue that they have completely changed how we approach the movies now. Um, in a lot of better ways. In a lot of ways. I mean, I definitely spend yeah. a lot more time in the theater than I do um, watching movies on on TV on streaming. Um, even though I have, but a lot you of have streaming. the subscription. You have a subscription for a list, yeah, for AMC. Yeah. Me and nine hundred thousand other people. Yeah, which is funny because I don't. Um, my husband does. I rarely go to see movies because I don't want to shell out the fifteen twenty bucks unless I really, 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 really want to see it. Whereas obviously, because your subscription, I'm like, person, uh, yes, yeah, I'll go see Rambo: Last Blood. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? I'll go see it five times. Why not? I, I can I can afford to do it because you've got the pass. But it's interesting because I think. Not only does it change 
how we consume movies. I was actually saying this uh, to my husband the other day. I think it it's a smart idea because you don't feel now from a fi- financial standpoint, you don't feel the pinch. And I think you're more likely to spend more in the theater. Whereas mm-hmm. before it's like, Oh, I had to pay 15 bucks for the ticket. And now I have to shell out money for food. I don't think I want to do that. You already paid for it. So you don't feel it. And then you're like, Oh yeah, I can spend extra money yeah. in the concession stand and all that stuff. Um, but I think it really does. I mean, do you think it's helping the little films and the independents and stuff like that? Because like, I know I'm not going to necessarily go unless I really want to see it, but because you have a subscription, do you think it's helping you get out there to see? I, I think so. Um, yeah. Cause there's, there's times like um, I want to go to the movies, but nothing big is out. So I'll, I'll go see a smaller film because it has a good star or it has, you know, good reviews. But it's not, you know, usually it would take a blockbuster to get me into the theater. You know, if I'm going to spend the money, it's going to be a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie or a Indiana Jones movie. Um, Not always, but, you know, it has to be a caliber where I know I'm going to have a good time. But with Mm -hmm. the subscription, I want to get in four or five movies a month to make it, you know, kind of worth my while. So if there's nothing major playing, um, you know, I'll pick a movie. I went and saw Peanut Butter Falcon recently. You know, that was a great mm-hmm. little indie movie. Not something, you know, with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, not something I probably would have gone seen if I didn't have A-list. Interesting. Because I feel like I would approach having a subscription to a movie kind of like a gym membership. Like you're like so gung-ho. I'm going to yeah. do it and I'm going to go to three movies a week. And then things get in the way. You just don't feel like driving to the theater. And then you just don't go as much. I mean, I even see it with my husband. He bought his subscription. I think he's had it for a year now. And in the beginning, he was going a lot. But now it's like, oh, crap. You know, where's the closest AMC? Oh, it's 20 minutes away. Do I really want to? You know, and then you mm-hmm. just kind of find reasons not to go, even though it's a great service. And you might as well take advantage. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So you're you're doing better with I'm, it. I'm I doing think. fine with it. Yeah. In fact, they have a little thing on the app tells you how much you've saved. And I've had it since August of last year, so over a year now. It says I saved mm-hmm. about $240. So that's pretty good for my mm. 20 bucks a month kind of expenditure. Wow. You know, I do think uh, movies are more expensive. In fact, today my roommate went with me to see uh, uh, Rambo Last Blood. And uh, his ticket was like, I want to say 1875 or something. It was for a matinee, it was a yeah for a two two o'clock two three o'clock in the afternoon movie, and I was like, Ouch. so I don't know if AMC has just jacked up all their ticket prices to encourage people to subscribe or what, but yeah, they don't give you like a uh you have the subscription your friend gets in for like half off no, kind of deal. They do have a discount have Tuesdays or something, but oh, okay. uh, mind you, everyone who's not in Los Angeles, that's not unusual here. Really, that's our ticket prices are pretty much higher than the rest of the world. Yeah, they're and they're getting worse. <laughs> I remember when I first moved here, a ticket was ten dollars. But like seriously, like they are just getting higher and higher. Yeah. So, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe you paid eighteen something well, for a matinee. <laughs> wow, ouch. But you're right. So, um, I heard that Cinemia closed down too, didn't it? That you used to belong to that, didn't you? That was the other kind of competing no. service to movie pass. No. I debated joining Cinemia when the whole movie passing was blowing up, but then I was just so worried they were going to do the same thing where it's like, oh, you're restricted. You can only go to these movies at these times. So I just didn't bother. Yeah. It seemed like it was too hard for the independent companies to work with the studios. 
but the studio or not the studios the theater owners and now they all have their own services regal has one cinemark alamo draft house that's that like dine-in kind of movie theater and of course amc they all they all have subscription pro- uh, projects now that are you know driving people to the theaters and i think selling more food because of it but here's the interesting thing which actually brings us to our next topic as well because every single theater has its own subscription just like now with all these a la carte tv things you know nbc has its own thing disney has its own thing you know cbs has its own thing netflix has its own thing and and it's now limited just to that channel's programming first of all you know, if you only go to AMC and you want to see an independent that isn't there, it's only at, you know, I don't know, uh, oh, Arclight or something, then you either have to wait or pay the money to go to something like Arclight. But even with the things like with Disney and all of that, and you have to buy each individual streaming service, it's interesting because a lot of the articles and and, uh, news programs I've been listening to are saying that all the things on the slates for NBC and Disney and everything, they're nostalgia properties. They're rebooting everything. They're sequeling everything. And it kind of makes me go, oh my gosh, is original programming seriously dead at this point? I get it that they're doing it to, you know, bring people in to watch their streaming services because you're more likely to go, oh, hey, I loved Punky Brewster when I was a kid. But then are you really going to flip around and, and look for new content at this point yeah i feel like disney um being kind of the most guarded of the kingdoms uh that's evolved out of this is going to be mostly sticking to their their the ip they own they're going to be marvel star wars the pick you know the, the pixar universe all those animated features and it'll be interesting to see what kind of unique originals they come up with from what I understand, there's not a lot from the, from the articles I've been reading. And this is across the board. This is not just Disney. A lot of the big players, not counting Hulu, not counting Netflix, not like the upstarts, so to speak, the established uh, channels are just doing reboots or sequels. Well, the one difference. With very that, little. The original. one, the one uh, difference to that is going to be Apple TV Plus because they're they don't have any backlog of stuff. You know, iTunes was always just everybody else's stuff. So all, mm-hmm. all the shows they're coming up with are pretty much all unique original stories. So that's kind of, I think going to be their big selling point is coming up with some really unique things versus yeah. Warner brothers or Warner, Warner studios, the Warner brothers, uh, you know, they're going to be pulling in the, the DC universe and all their TV stuff, you know, from the past. Um, CBS is, you know, banking most of their, uh, you know, streaming service on Star Trek so far. They've got uh, Star Trek Discovery is having its third season coming up next year. And then the new uh, Captain Picard show is going to be coming out in January, I think. So, yeah, you're right. They're they're kind of like, you know, circling the wagons and using what they have to uh, pull people into their service. I felt like CBS did that with Star Trek Discovery. I kind of felt annoyed with that because there were you know, you had the back catalog of all their other shows, but you, but they didn't have that much new stuff. There wasn't anything original except, I mean, Star Trek's a franchise, but. But I mean, even if they did, after you reboot all of your old catalog or sequel, all of your old catalog, how much time do you have left for original programming anyway? 
I guess that that's what the networks are for. Um, you know, they're still broadcasting ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox still have broadcasting. So, mm-hmm. you know, that I think is still going to continue to be the place where they try out new shows. When you do streaming, you're kind of committing because with streaming, um, it's not ad based, it's subscription based. So you make a show, you put it out there, see who, you know, see how many people watch it to see if it's worth making again, because if you keep making it, they'll keep paying their subscription fees. Basically, uh, mm-hmm. HBO, they're going to have uh, Warner Brothers and HBO there together. That's going to be their HBO Max product. They're going to do a prequel to Game of Thrones. And HBO mm-hmm. knows from experience that when Game of Thrones is out, their subscriber base, you know, skyrockets, you know, for the two months that's out. And then after the season ends, boom, it drops. So that's the kind of, you know, churn you have to avoid by keeping, you know, new content coming and content that, you know, people will watch. So that's why they churn over the same stuff. So then what does this mean in terms of for writers? Because we're told, you know, know how to write a spec script so you can show people that you can fit into a writer's room that's already established and running. But a lot of times agents, well, maybe not right now, but managers and and agents back in the day before this whole WGA thing, they wanted original pilots to sell. So what does that mean for writers? Because you know, we were told to put so much emphasis on the original pilot, but now it seems like we should really get good at writing specs. Uh, that's a good uh, point. I uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess uh, you still have to, you know, produce original material to, you know, if you want to be a writer to show you can create things from scratch too. I don't know. It's, you know, it, the whole uh, cable industry kind of changed writing um, with the shorter seasons you know, 10, 12 mm-hmm. episodes a season that changed things, how, how it works. So we all had to get used to that. And then the streaming changed it because the the schedule was different. You know, now it's not just from, you know, the fall to the spring, it's, you know, summer all the time. There's always new shows coming out. Netflix, they're dumping new shows, dropping new shows constantly. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard as a writer to understand what is the system now. And since we don't currently have have agents, uh, not that we you or you or I actually had agents, but writers in general, with the, right now, yeah, it's kind it, of there's a, not yeah. a lot of guidance there. And I think part of that's probably what part of the fight's about is the agencies and the studios are kind of colluding to kind of figure this all out to their benefit, and the writers are kind of getting squeezed. I think a little bit. So that that's part of the I think the argument. Mm, interesting. I I mean. I don't know. I feel like it, it was funny. I just actually had a conversation with my husband about streaming because I was binge watching all of the new Carmen San Diego season. And I said, you know, after two days of watching it, because they're very short episodes, they're like 22 minutes, no ads. So I, I blew through it within two days and I was like, oh, I'm kind of sad. There's nothing else. And he's like, I kind of like binge watching though, because, you know, you don't have to like set aside the time and set aside that hour to watch the show and you know, all this stuff. And I don't know. It's, it's an interesting landscape. I think the binge watching is, um, uh, in some ways detrimental, uh, with, uh, um, a show like that, that's kind of self-contained. It's not as big a deal, but, uh, serialized shows like game of Thrones or walking dead, you know, they have these cliffhangers and they have these story arcs where, 
if you have to wait a long, long time between seasons, it kind of get lost a little bit. So you have, you lose, you forget, people, you yeah. lose people along the way. Yeah. yeah. True. But for writers, it's harder because, um, you know, you want to work on a show, but if the show, you know, has a weird schedule, it's hard for you to get work on a different show that has, that overlaps it or, you know, cause, cause everything's working in weird timeframes now. And that's part of another thing that writers guild has been, you know, fighting about is, how can we, you know, have deals with studios, networks that have the one schedule and then the independents that have different schedules so that writers can work all year round without getting, you know, blocked out because of uh, overlapping schedules. Because of these weird dead times. Yeah. yeah. You could be on a That's hit true. show like Game of Thrones, which only does eight or 10 episodes and not be able to work any other time of the year. Unless you make a lot Just of money per timing. episode. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to, yeah. you know, it's not going to be uh much that your career is going to be a, a little tricky. Yeah. It'll be interesting. And I mean, I know, again, we mentioned, you know, following the trends and, and knowing the trends and stuff, but I also just have to wonder if all these reboots, because the people that know the original properties well are a lot older. And so what does that mean for younger writers and what does that mean for younger audiences? Are they even going to want to watch this stuff? Because some of the stuff that was really cool in the eighties, I mean, obviously they're revamping it for now, but some of it, you lose a little bit of the charm. Some of it, it was meant to just stay in that era. I think. Yeah. I'm uh, the reboot of MacGyver kind of hit me poorly. I didn't, I watched the first episode and I was totally turned off. Because it didn't really mm-hmm. capture the heart of the original. So mm-hmm. it did well. I think it got another, se- I don't know how many seasons. It got at least two seasons at least. Um, because whoever was watching it liked it, you know. And But maybe they didn't have a connection to the original. I, that would be like a, a nice survey to do. Like, uh, you know, people who who watched the originals, did they watch the remakes? Who did watch the remakes? And, and you know, what did they like about it versus, you know, why people who watched the original wouldn't watch the remake? You know, I think there's properties out there like we're, I think there's a new Nancy Drew movie coming out. There's there's things from our childhood that are being rebooted, but they're not necessarily being re- rebooted for us for the nostalgia of it. They're being re- re- rebooted for a different audience. It it's a it's a weird thing to me because I feel like I don't mind a reboot. I mind all the, the the glut of reboots. I swear every time I turn around, something's been rebooted. Um, but in general, I don't mind revisiting a property. But I think sometimes you just want to keep it in its original form. I don't know. You know, there was a reason it worked so well yeah. back then. It's the old, don't ruin my childhood. No, not necessarily. Thing. I think just some things are just good the way they are. And you don't need to... Re retool it because it was perfect the way it was when it came out, and a lot of it is it's it's not just how the the writing was, but it was what the era was like and what the time period was like and all that stuff. Sometimes you kind of need that context, that historical context. That's how I feel. I could be wrong. So what's this new? Uh, speaking of new apps and services and stuff, what's this new thing that you showed me from Will Smith? Oh, well, it's not Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith is now on uh, TikTok. If you haven't heard of TikTok, T-I-K-T-O-K. It is a streaming as an app where, um, well, it's kind of weird. It started off as a uh, platform where you could create lip sync videos. So they had a, a library of music and audio that you could do your own video to and lip sync it. 
And then it kind of evolved into a lot of people doing dancing. And then it became um, kind of, you know, it's kind of like a vine, but the videos can be much, much longer. Um, But they're just really, um, it's a lot of variety of kind of videos, but it's kind of like at a new level. Um, A lot of travel videos are really beautiful vistas and they're set to, you know, whatever the music and their different kinds of music. um, uh, And uh, there's some challenge videos where people try to do different things to challenge each other, you know some artwork a lot of people do artwork on it where they draw things or create things mm-hmm. so it's uh one of my favorite uh accounts is uh hydraulic press they have a hydraulic press where they crush oh, things really? in it and they the things squirt out in weird ways and oh stuff my gosh. um yeah it's kind of this late my latest addiction online um oh my word that's funny. yeah it's a it's a unique kind of platform it's become it only launched in um 2017 and it it uh it started in Asia, it kind of spread all over all over. Uh, and Will Smith just did his first, uh, I don't know what you call it, post on TikTok, his first video. Okay, I I thought you meant he like bought it or something, because I know that's happened before where celebrities have bought, you nah. know, some sort of uh, website or app or something. No, no, he's just uh, opened an account, and well, I'm, I want to say I'm jealous or anything, but um, he uh. <laughs> It's it's funny. This article came out about how he, you know, how uh, TikTok was growing, and actually, it's become a place where people are looking for un, unfound talent in some ways. So um, it's a. Uh, but in the article, they mentioned that Will Smith posted his first video, and he has seven hundred uh, million, seven hundred thousand fans already. And wow. then two days later, um, I looked at it two days later, and he already was up to one point two million. Oh so, my gosh. Just in like literally in two days, he added half a million people to his uh, following on there. And he only has, there's one video, I think, of the guy who's running the account being mm-hmm. goofy with this cat. And then one video with Will Smith. So uh, it's kind of cute. That's it's awesome. kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the article was interesting because uh, um, it did talk about how there's um, celebrities coming out of TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um uh, there's a dog that's become a celebrity, Jif Palm. Have you heard of Jif Palm? No. It's, I mean, I haven't really, I only heard about this through you, so I'm going to have to go check it out. Well, he, he, he started on, uh, Jif Palm started on Instagram, but it's this cute little oh. dog and he, his, his owners dress him up in cute little costumes and make cute little videos of him. Um, and he actually, I think I saw him on Good Morning America recently and the owner was there and he has, they came out with like dolls and plush animals and all kinds Aww. of like the, the dog has got this huge following where it's, um, you know, it's selling, it's become a celebrity. It's, I think it's uh, a nominee for the people choice awards or something. Oh, so, that's um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, but there's people on there doing cosplay. There's people on there doing, um, uh, like I said, dancing, mm-hmm. So it's like a multi-platform. It's not just like, you know how like MySpace is just singing or like hit record is, you know, kind of just film or TV or voiceover. So this is like everything. This is like a multi-platform yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. Jif Palm, the Pomeranian dog has almost 20 million followers. So that dog is, is really famous. I think it's <laughs> outpaced Grumpy Cat at this point. Oh, well, you know, Grumpy Cat passed away. Well, you're not supposed to tell anyone that. Because they'll just replace him with another cat. <laughs> oh, you are so horrible! Oh my! You word. don't think you don't think Morris the Nine Lives cat is still alive after all these years? No, do you? I I know he's not. I know he's not. <laughs> I'm just saying you can't replace the original Grumpy Cat. He'll always live on in social media for us, thankfully. <laughs> 
So speaking of social media and living on, what what projects are you working on right now? Uh, I started I started writing something new. I can't talk about it yet, though. So I, I'm going to have to be coy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just trying to uh, actually write something for our, uh, our my I, I signed up to present at our one of our writers group meetings. And now I feel like I have to write something. Well, good. So I came up with a unique idea. <laughs> and ironically, I'll tell you about it later, but it is a reboot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. What are you doing? Well, we're still we are, yeah, we are in the midst of it. So we are in production right now. Um, so going in the cool, studio, congrats. we're going to record. Thank you. I'm so excited. And I've got some ideas um, for like a season two and like an in-between in between season one and season two type stuff. And I'm so excited. These these actors are super talented and they're all so excited to be on board. And I'm just so excited to work with them. So it should be really good. You haven't set up like a social media or website for it yet? Not yet. I'm waiting on the artwork. So uh, as of right now- We'll announce that when it's yeah. time, I guess. Yeah, okay. it should be soon. My goal is to launch that probably in November-ish um, with the, the website, even though like you can't listen to anything yet. I just want people to be able to see like, oh, these are the voices behind the um, behind the podcast and you know, just so people can kind of see what it's about. But yeah, a lot of it is contingent on the artwork and we don't have that yet. Cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's what we're all up to. Why don't you guys let us know what you're up to at WG Therapy on Twitter or Instagram. Tweet at us. Let us know what's happening. If there's anything in the industry or any writing topics you want us to cover, let us know. Yeah. If you got a cool project or something, let us know. We're, We're always looking for interesting Uh, writers and producers to share with us yeah so awesome well this has been fun we'll see you guys in a month